while we come to the end of the series in Galatians and we finish off with a message, where is your boast? You could put the word trust there, you could put the word confidence there, where is your confidence, where is your boast, where is your trust and wouldn't it be good if we could look into each other's hearts right now with some kind of uh, Superman x-ray vision and see where your confidence is and your boast is. Well, we don't need to because God in fact knows and he sees and we're going to see what it is today. To not only boast in the cross of Christ but to struggle, to struggle to find our boast there. So, Paul finishes off this letter uh, in verse 11 by saying that he wrote it so it came with not only full apostolic uh, authority but like a personal email, it was a very personal letter and we must say it was the heart of Christ coming in that letter to the Galatians. In verse 12 and 13 on your screen there, he now begins to bring out the motives of false believers. I hope you believe there is a false church and the false church isn't outside the perimeters of the true church. I hope you believe there are false teachers and false brethren who mix themselves in with the true church. We saw that in Galatians 4, didn't we, with uh, those who are slaves to the law, persecute those who are children of grace. So Paul says in verse 12, those who want to make a, a good impression outwardly literally means those who want to show off are trying to compel you to be circumcised And then he gives the motives of why they do it. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Now Paul's going to speak about a new rule at the end of uh, Galatians 6, a new law. And that new rule is a measuring rod. What's your measuring rod by which you measure your relationship with God the Father in Jesus Christ? Is it the finished and completed work of God in Jesus Christ with no additions whatsoever? Or is it a little bit of you because that's what the church is saying at the moment If you go through and take a survey of original sin and of the sin of Adam, we're really not that bad. It's a little bit of Adam and a little bit of Christ. It's kind of the good parts of me emerged with Jesus Christ. Do you know that's actually what Luther actually condemned as a heresy? But do you know that's the most popular teaching now? And the guy who said that said... You find out whether your church is living that way by the offerings. You get a little bit of offering. You get a little bit of service in the church. Because there's only a little bit of you and a little bit of Christ. So everything is in in little bits. That's not the Gospel. I've got to say it. The measuring rod is who you are in Christ apart from anything you do, good or bad. That's the measuring rod. That's the standard that Paul says we are to live by. Now, 
the reason the false teachers are trying to get the Galatians to be circumcised is no different to why a popular kid in school acts in such a way that the crowd follows him. Why do popular kids have to do certain things to have a crowd follow them? Because their egos need other people to build them up. That's what the Galatian heresy is about. It's about a group of people who are moving among the churches saying to one another and to their little group, how many people have submitted to your teaching? How many numbers do you have? How pathetic. Yet, don't think for a moment that there isn't a second baptism movement that doesn't go around saying now, if you get baptised a second time, you'll receive more of the Holy Spirit. Anybody ever heard that? Why do they do that? Well, you can now join us and we've got more numbers, we feel better about ourselves and we're better than the rest of the church. So that was the game that they were playing and Paul uncovers the game by saying the reason that they teach the law and circumcision is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Every time Paul preached Christ and him crucified, every time a person in this room preaches Christ and him crucified and you don't have to be a pastor to do it, people hear this message. Now get your stones ready or you'll be thankful. This is what you hear. Every time Christ and Him crucified is preached, a human being hears this, that all that they do in the fallen sinful nature is worthless and of no effect in God's kingdom. How do we go with that? Who thinks I'm a bit crazy? How do you avoid such persecution? Well, tell people that they're actually, look, Christ did something for you, but it also is up to you. You've got to do your little bit. You won't get persecuted. But in the proclamation of Christ and him crucified, what happens is the best that a human being can do, the best of the best, they hear that that has been crucified as an offence to a holy God. The best that we do, crucified as an offence to a holy God and what happens then is the way opened to God is through Christ and through him alone. That is the message why Paul could take off his shirt, turn around to you and say, look at the marks on my back. The marks on my back are because I preach that message. Why do people preach the law? they're cowards. In the end, they do not want to suffer for the message of Christ. Therefore, they shrink away. And let me tell you, it's a battle to preach the cross of Christ. It takes the courage of the Lord Jesus Christ every time. Luther says this, the world calls good evil. You understand that? So, things like homosexuality, that's okay, that's good. Marriage equality, that's good. The world calls things that are evil good. 
The word of the cross calls a spade a spade. It tells people how things really are in God's eyes, in God's kingdom. And more than that, the word of the cross is an attack on all that human beings try to offer God. It actually attacks that which is sinful and proud. And it either cuts and saves or it raises the most self-righteous, pious anger that even comes from pew. Let me illustrate this a little bit. A doctor who's not a Christian, are they still serving the world and patients in a helpful way? They are, aren't they? We need them. We thank God for their skills. We thank God that they go and they study and they work. In fact, I wouldn't be here and many of you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for doctors. But in the end, a doctor who's not a new creation in Jesus Christ and isn't a Christian, where in the end are they going to finally have their boast? In Jesus or in themselves? See, why we resist total depravity is this. What about the good that man does? That's the first thing the human heart says. When you hear about total depravity, oh, what about the good? Well, does that good give glory to God? You bet it doesn't. You take the Queensland floods about seven years ago. They all helped each other out in the most amazing way. They mopped each other's floors. They helped each other clean up their houses and then the very next day they had a celebration to themselves and praised one another. That's total depravity. That, that, that is why Adam has to be killed. Because no matter what Adam does, he's going to compete with God. So the only thing for Adam is death. And the only thing that stops us from competing with God and reaching for the stars... You ever heard the saying, reach for the stars? What did Adam do in the garden? He reached for the stars to be above God. Adam must be crucified. He will constantly be competing with God in his goodness. The Reformation was more about good works rather than bad works. We have an an example this morning of God's grace. Where was Faye's free will? Carried by her parents. She didn't even have a say in her baptism because it's God who has a say. It's God who claims her. When Christ took you to the cross, where were you? Were you saying, yes, take me with you? No, he carried you because you wouldn't go. He had to take you into that cross. Not because you willed to die, because you wouldn't die and I wouldn't die. Let me give you a, a little bit of an illustration of this persecution. An older Christian pastor in South Australia who was a Bible college lecturer and missionary over the years used to receive many phone calls for deathbed repentances by pastors. 
the pastors would call him up and they would say to him, I need to confess my sins before I go to be with the Lord. And he would go there and he'd listen to their confession and their confession went like this. When I started out in the ministry, I used to preach Christ and him crucified. But the persecution in the church got so fierce and people attacked me and my family so much that we stopped preaching Christ and him crucified and we started to preach the law. Everything just quietened down. When I preached the law and I eased off the message, the congregation was much more happy with me. And it wasn't five or six confessions. It was many. You know the sign of an apostle and a disciple in the book of Acts, a sign of being with Jesus was they had boldness. When they saw the boldness of John and Peter, they knew that they had been with Jesus. Because this message is confronting everything in the world and everything about our worldly heart is being confronted right now. Paul makes it clear, not even those who are circumcised obey the law and yet they want to be circumcised that they may boast about what they're accomplishing in you. Gernhard Forty, the Lutheran scholar said, the best defence against a relationship with God in Jesus Christ is to hide behind the law. How do you avoid a relationship with God in Jesus Christ? Go to the law. Go to your performance. What a cover-up. See, they're actually not even obeying themselves, but they're hiding behind a ceremony, saying we're not going to have a relationship with God. We're going to trust in circumcision. We don't actually, that actually doesn't put you in relationship with God. The law doesn't put you in relationship with God. What would have happened to King David after his adultery, after his murder, if he had a said, I need the law to put me in right relationship with God. What would have happened to him? He would have been killed. Now, I've got to be careful when I say this because I got his name wrong this morning, but it's Kanye West. And I had the borders this morning, so there are a few, who knows Kanye West here? What a he-man, hero-man he is, hey? I hope he doesn't hear this recording. Um, But recently he got given a six minute uh, period to give a a speech at a huge music award and he made some rants in it. But one of the things that stood out was this and, and see if you can understand it. For people to understand just how blessed we are, referring to him and his wife, it is the expression of our fame right now. What's going to happen to him when he gets to 60 or 70 and he's put on some weight and he's got some wrinkles and no one listens to his music anymore? Where's his identity going to be? And don't think for a moment that those deaths over the last few years from famous people hasn't been through an identity crisis. See, when he sings and he sings to his audience, does he love and care care for his audience? No, he's actually using his audience to build up 
his self-esteem and his ego. That's why he's a rapper. He's getting his applause from the people and that's what actually keeps him going. That's where his identity is. So, brothers and sisters, where is your boast? Where is your identity? Where are you looking for it? There's a poem that says, fame is the spirit that drives us on. Paul refuses to boast in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. May I never boast, glory in or take delight in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, neither outward performance, neither a ritual or a lack of any performance or any ruler or any law means anything. What counts is a new creation, peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Now what Paul is saying here is this, may I never boast in, may I never glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world, that whole system that's built on recognition, can you hear the world that way? The whole world system is built on, built on recognition. Paul's saying, something has happened to me. Something has happened to me where the world and recognition and approval and striving to reach for the stars has been crucified. Something actually happened to me. When Jesus died, I died with him. The old man that thirsted to be the Pharisee of Pharisees I wasn't content just to be a Pharisee, says Paul. I wanted to be the greatest. No one had an ego like him. When Christ died, the whole system of guilt and sin to the law and the world was crucified. Jesus' death is the place where that whole system now has been put to death and in his resurrection we have been raised up and we are now a new creation. How new is the new creation and how complete is the new creation? So, how many of you think today that the new creation still needs a touch-up? Paul says the only thing the only thing that has value, the only thing that has meaning, the only thing that has purpose is who you are, not who you will be. Who you are in the Holy Father's eyes according to the measuring rod of the finished work of Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. That's the only thing that counts. So Noel Jew, last week when he was here, said, we don't stand alongside Jesus. We stand in him. And when the Father looks on Jesus Christ, he can't tell us apart. How are you going with that comment? 
How amazing that when the Father looks on Jesus Christ and He looks on you, He can't tell you apart from His Son. The beautiful thing is this. Because you're now a new creature in Christ and you stand in perfection before perfection, you don't strive for it. You can actually relax and be you. You can actually relax and be the new you in Christ and you don't have to strive for anything. You don't have to reach for the stars. So how good are we at just relaxing in being the new us in Christ? I shared this with a minister last night and he said, if you say that, you're going to cause a huge stir. Brothers and sisters, you can't be any more holy than what you are in Christ. You can't be any more righteous than what you are in Christ. You can't be any more spotless or blameless or precious or valued or treasured or loved than what you are in Christ. You can't. It's Paul saying there's a new rule. There's a new measuring rod. Get it out. And it isn't the law. It's the new creation in Jesus Christ. And he actually says, how about you live by this rule? How about you live by the measuring rod of the Father and the gift of a new creation in Christ? Just do that at the point that you sin and see how easy it is. Just do it at the point that you have an argument with your wife or your husband and see how easy it is. Who here feels that they're a new creation in Christ all the time. Probably very rarely, if anything, you're probably going to feel more of your sin than anything else. So let me paraphrase Philippians chapter 3 as I close. In order to enjoy our identity, in order to relax about being who we are in Christ, we need to count human approval in the world as rubbish. Paul said that. We need to say with Paul, I want to know the surpassing worth of my identity in Christ. That is of far more value. I want to know that. And I want to be found in Him, not having an approval, a righteousness that comes by performance, but one which comes from God and is by faith in Christ. What a way to live. And when you live that way, get ready for the whipping. Because when you're identified with Christ in that way, you will be persecuted. I have to leave you with that message. Because you will confront everything about the world in its ego and especially man's depravity. And when you confront man's depravity, man, do you see Satan rise up in people's hearts. So, Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen.